Hey everyone, Jim Williams, Washington Bureau Chief of News Talk Florida. And uh, we are having yet another edition of this, the Politically Incorrect podcast. Our guests, as always, Tom Jackson, Joe Henderson, Alan Steinberg, and Tim Bryce, all columnists for the aforementioned NewstalkFlorida.com. And you are listening to this podcast on NewstalkFlorida.com and on BlogTalkRadio.com. So, gentlemen, uh, lots to talk about. Let's talk a little bit about the shakeup at Fox News and also, first and foremost, the settlement out of court uh, for an estimated $20 million, reported, I suppose, I should say, $20 million, by Gretchen Carlson in her lawsuit against Roger Ailes and 20th Century Fox. Uh, who wants to take a swat at that one first? Anybody? I'll take it. All right, Joe. I think the speed with which the settlement was reached and the amount of money that it includes says that pretty much we should believe everything that was said about Roger Ailes in this in this affair, and I use that word deliberately. Um, it it makes you wonder about the atmosphere going on in Fox News. Um, kind of, a, it sounds like a frat house uh, on steroids. And I just, I'm stunned that it happened this quickly. Uh, but when you when you look back and you see that, not long after this came out. Roger Ailes got kicked to the curb, and now Fox has has come up with this very rapid settlement, and uh, it just seems like there is a, a great acknowledgement by Fox that on this issue, everything that people said about them was true, and uh, I commend them for settling. I commend them for not uh, dragging it out through the court system or whatever. And now I just hope uh, that they can clean this place up and uh, make it uh, a fair place to work again. Tim, any thoughts on the uh, settlement? Well, Cowabunga, the $20 million, uh, that's a lot of uh, lettuce there, you know, for a settlement like this. And, you know, and we're in our day and age right now in human resources and so on. Any time of sexual encounter, be it a passing look or a feel of nudge or whatever the case may be, whether it's innocent or not, it's going to generate a ton of bucks. How about you, Thomas? Well, I don't think that there's a whole lot to add to this. I, I think what we are seeing is the beginning of a new Fox News that right. will, however it turns out, however November turns out, will not look a great deal like it does just now. Um, the, the, the weekend's polls notwithstanding showing a virtual dead heat across the board, not only in the, uh, not only nationally, but in a, uh, several of the battleground polls, uh, Fox has chosen a horse to ride with, uh, all these months. And I mean, from, uh, so there's, that's, that's one thing that, that they've got going for or against them, the, the, the Trump factor. And then the whole nature of the way the network does so many of its programs, including the, the obvious leg chairs, the, uh, the leg positions at the tables, those sorts of things, uh, where you put absolutely glamorous women on, on, on the corners and the guys in the middle. Uh, it, it's not necessarily the right way to do business anymore. And I think what we're going to see going forward, I mean, Gretchen, uh, uh, not uh, uh, Greta Van Susteren, is all of a sudden exercising her option to leave, saying she doesn't feel at home there anymore. Uh, Britt Hume is going to be filling in in that slot. I don't know what's going to become of it uh, going forward, but I just think we're gonna, we're about to see a different Fox News than we have seen previously. It will be part of the Ailes departure, um, and it will be also a, a shifting of the American psyche toward, toward the network. I actually think the Greta Van Susteren uh, departure is a bigger news event than uh, settling out of court with uh, Greta. I mean, uh, uh, the other one. 
I'll tell you what hit me today. It was, uh, you know, when it first was announced today, I was bombarded with all kinds of stuff on Facebook and emails. I got all kinds of, Tim, have you seen this? You know, Greta's going out. I mean, the public, there's a lot of people really shocked uh, with her departure. I will tell you, Tim, that uh, Greta's someone who I've known for a long time, and she's a very nice lady. And um, to be very honest, uh, uh, I know that there were times that she was, she loved the legal aspect of everything. And I don't think that her comfort level as things move far more politically into that realm, that that was really not Greta. And I think that her her looking at things from a legal standpoint was something that she was very comfortable with. And should she, um, I, don't, I don't know if she'll get back in the media anytime soon. I, I know for a fact that she would like to and has been offered an, an opportunity to be an adjunct uh, law professor at Georgetown Law School. And uh, she may very well take that job. She's been on TV since uh, the O.J. Simpson trials when she and Roger Cossack uh, teamed up for that uh, half-hour show that they did during, uh, during CNN's uh, coverage of the trials. And then in 2002, of course, she, uh, she moved over and, and went to work at, at Fox. But um, no, that was a very out-of-the-blue kind of a situation. She had the... Uh, the clause that had, of course, Roger Ailes left the network, she was able to get out. And my understanding from what I've done, and it hasn't been much, I've only had a couple of hours to look into it, but from people I've spoken to who have knowledge of this, they said that uh, this has actually been something that's been in the workings for the better part of, I don't know, four or five months at this point. And uh, for all intents and purposes, it just came down to a number. And whatever that number was, it was resolved today by her husband, who is also her agent. And uh, what next for Greta Sus- Van Susteren? I I don't know, but uh, it looks to me like the next thing, at least for the short short term, is that she's going to be Professor Van Susteren over at the law school at, uh, at Georgetown. I have an evaluation of the situation somewhat similar to what Tom just said. Uh, I take it one step further. I think that uh, Fox, even if they didn't have all these uh, litigations, and I, I think this is going to open the floodgates to a lot more, uh, but Fox's future is somewhat questionable. Uh, whether Rod, Roger Ailes had had these uh, allegations against him or not, he wasn't going to be at Fox forever. And Roger Ailes had a lot to do with the branding and uh, building of uh, Fox News. So when Rupert Murdoch goes, and he's not going to live forever, his two sons have very different political views than his. I think what you're going to see, I still believe very strongly that Donald Trump is going to lose this election. I think that after the election, Steve Bannon is going to be the key factor in forming a new news network, basically hoping to buy Newsmax, uh, which would give him the uh, -the over-the-top TV uh, access. And you're going to see Trump's name being used on it. But again, Bannon will be the big uh, coordinator. And you're going to see a number of the Trump acolytes go over to the Trump TV network. You'll have Sean Hannity go over there. Uh, you will have a, a number of the newscasters who show a certain amount of uh, conservative orientation go over there. I got, I got to tell you one thing. It's funny. Uh, I usually the, – the network I've come to watch the most, even though I'm more conservative than the talking heads of that network, is MSNBC. I think that their in-depth coverage with Hallie Jackson and others is really terrific. But when I watch the news on there and I watch the news on Fox, I think I'm watching two different worlds. It's unbelievable. And uh, I think that this is something that's going to be the subject of a lot of evaluation after the election. Well, you're listening to the Politically Incorrect podcast. That was Alan Steinberg, Tim Bryce, Joe Henderson, Tom Jackson, and I'm Jim Williams, the Washington Bureau Chief and uh, at News Talk Florida. You know, Alan, uh, one of the things, there had been a a strong power struggle at Fox News between uh, the Murdoch children and, um, and Mr. Ailes, and uh, Roger won. And for all intents and purposes, Roger had almost blocked Murdoch out of it, the way he had set it up. So uh, I do believe that um, once the shackles of uh, 
of Roger Ailes. And the, the interesting thing is, I mean, you got to give the devil his due. There's no one who's done a better job of putting together a news network that has been so successful as Roger Ailes, whether you like Fox News or would choose not to watch it. It's certainly been successful. And, and Roger, um, Fox has to uh, look at that and say, well, bottom line wise, you know, where, how do we make a change and at the same time not lose our audience and perhaps not lose more importantly the advertising that went with that audience so it's going to be a very interesting change in how the whole fox situation plays out but certainly over the last couple of hours with the news of of greta uh, deciding to to leave the network and gretchen uh, getting the $20 million, as I believe Tim said, I think it is only the tip of the iceberg. I think there's there's more to come uh, on uh, 7th Avenue where they have their studios. So we'll, we'll see what's going on with that. But uh, another question, guys, with regard to uh, the coverage, and that is that uh, for the first time in uh, quite a while, uh, uh, on the way down to Tampa today, it seems that uh, Hillary Clinton decided that she was going to become chatty with the press, and uh, it started on the plane, and it continued the whole way down uh, on the flight from, uh, from New York to Tampa. So, um, Joe, are we about to see a, a new chattier Hillary Clinton now that uh, the campaign is in what we would like to call the final stretch? Well, the it really depends on your definition of chatty. Uh, I can't. Sure. I can't really imagine uh, Hillary Clinton uh, ever having that kind of relationship uh, with the media, um, because she just doesn't trust the press, and she never has, and that's not going to change. I think probably what happened um, was that she was being told by her handlers. Uh, and maybe your husband. Look, this is becoming a this is becoming a thing. You not talking to the press, and she frankly needed to do something to grab the microphone away from Donald Trump because Trump never shuts up, and Hillary never talks. Well, who are you? Who's going to get the coverage in that case? You know, you're not going to lead our top story tonight. Hillary Clinton didn't talk to the press again. No, she's got to say stuff. So. Uh, you might hear more from her. We certainly need to hear more from her, but it's going to be guarded. It's going to be scripted, and uh, I don't really think she's going to be um, very revealing at all. But I think there's a consequence there, and uh, Joe, it's this: uh, she uh, she's likely to win the election. You know, I continue to uh, maintain that. I think most people feel that way. But Maureen Dowd of the New York Times has written about how there's this climate of uh, ill will between Hillary Clinton and the press. And if you're elected president of the United States, you want to have a honeymoon. And if you have an adversarial relationship with the press, you're not going to get that honeymoon. And you're going to be riding a cauldron as soon as you take office, especially given the fact that she's likely to face a cri two crises right at the beginning of her term. One is the collapse of Obamacare. And the other is a possible conflict in the South China Sea with China. So it's not good for you to come into office, have no honeymoon, be facing these crises. So it's better that she develop a more collegial relationship with the press now. Well, Maureen Dowd certainly has been a uh, appointed critic of the Clintons uh, over the years. And I think, I think she's absolutely right when she says that. Um, but here's the thing with Hillary Clinton. Yes, she's going to face crisis. Yes, uh, every president does. Uh, look at what Barack Obama faced uh, before he was even sworn in. The country was on the verge of collapse. So, you know, you got to you got to deal with these things. That's why that's why they get paid the big bucks, right? But what you also have to do, and I'm not sure Hillary Hillary Clinton is capable of this, is you have to be able to be a bit of a salesperson and you've got to sell the public or at least be honest with the public that this is what I'm going to do. This is my vision. This is how we're going to go about it. And 
you know, we're all in this together. I, I can't picture Hillary being that way. I just can't. Well, I'll tell you something. I've worked directly with her, okay? And I'm a Republican who thought he was going to have, when I took over Region 2 EPA, I thought I was going to have a very adversarial relationship with her. And I developed quite a good one with her, and I wasn't alone. Jim Walsh, who was the Republican dean of the congressional delegation in New York State from Syracuse, he also developed a good relationship with her, and he and I used to discuss this. So she is capable of crossing the aisle. She is capable of more collegial relationships. But as I heard Bob Shrum talk about that on TV this week with Mike Murphy, she doesn't show that side of herself very well, and I think it's unfortunate that she doesn't. That was Alan Steinberg and – before that, Joe Henderson on this Politically Incorrect podcast, myself, Jim Williams, your host, Tom Jackson, and Tim Bryce with us today. And guys, before we head off the break here, because we're going to have to take a break in just a moment, uh, let's go around the room real quick and get your thoughts on the upcoming debates. And um, were you pleased with the moderators that they that they chose? We got... Uh, you know, some some very interesting and some very good folks in there. Any anything pop out uh, from the moderator standpoint of you wonder why that person got in? I was upset that Chris Wallace said he's not going to do any fact checking. I think that they should be doing fact checking, and uh, I don't think that anyone should get a free ride. Yeah, I'm a little surprised about that with Chris because he's usually pretty straightforward on that. Anybody else? Any thoughts on the moderators? Well, but but yeah, we fa- we we fact checked in real time uh, during the last presidential series of debates, and we fact checked in error. Uh, I I I think that's I, I I'm not. I mean, I, I would like accurate fact checking to go on during debates, but uh, the fact that that Wallace is saying that he doesn't want any part of that is possibly a reflection of what Candy Crowley did that perhaps even shifted the election four years ago, jumping in on behalf of, of Barack Obama with, with apparently a, a preset, uh, a, a fed line about whether uh, President Obama had called the, the attack on Benghazi terrorism right, and, and, and in a timely fashion. I, I think it's up to news organizations and, and the people to follow news organizations that do fact-checking, and I, I, I'm okay with that. It's not a big deal. I'm just I'm just more worried about Martha Raddatz is one of the is 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 a moderator. Um, I mean she's practically a, a Hillary Clinton stenographer, isn't she? I I, I don't know whether how they. Oh, I don't think that's like that. I mean Martha did a very good job in the last presidential debates, and um, I, I I think when she's her, when, right. Go ahead. When when her buddy wasn't running, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Go ahead, Tom. <laughs> okay. You know, don't don't be shy, Tom. If you if you're you know if you got us something to say, go ahead and say it. But don't say it now because we're going to break. We can say it afterwards. You are listening to the politically incorrect podcast with Tom Jackson, Alan Steinberg, Tim Bryce, Joe Henderson, and myself, your humble host, Jim Williams, Washington Bureau Chief of News Talk Florida. You're listening to the politically incorrect podcast on NewstalkFlorida.com and blog. TalkRadio.com. Welcome back to the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host and Washington Bureau Chief of NewsTalkRadio.com. We have Tom Jackson, Joe Henderson, Alan Steinberg, and Tim Bryce, all of NewsTalkFlorida.com. And it's a wonderful day here in the neighborhood around Washington. It's nice and sunny and... Uh, and actually temperate, so no heat. We're getting a little bit of fallish in the weather, so we know we're getting closer to the election season. And speaking of that, guys, uh, just a few minutes ago, popping up on my TV screen was a picture of a person from Tampa, Florida, who is now the Attorney General of the state of Florida, Ms. Pam Bondi. And you guys know the story better than I. And... uh, Joe, I'll let you start with it. Explain to people the Pam Bondi, Donald Trump relationship or not relationship or what exactly is going on. 
Okay, the readers, or I guess in this case, the listeners digest version will is this. Uh, Pam Bondi is a uh, Republican considered by some to be a rising star in the party. Uh, when there was an investigation going on in the state of New York about Trump University, uh, she happened to, depending on which version of the story you believe, uh, have a chance encounter with Donald Trump, who she has said is a friend, and yet in the election, originally she endorsed Jeb Bush, which read into that whatever you will. She stood up and said, Jeb Bush is the type of leader we need. Well, anyway, uh, the Trump, invest Trump University investigation was going on, and there were calls for uh, a similar investigation in the state of Florida. And uh, Ms. Bondi's office chose not to investigate, even though that there were people saying they got ripped off. Well, all of a sudden, they surely by air quotes coincidence, a $25,000 contribution from the uh, Trump people to Ms. Bondi's reelection campaign appears. And it is for that reason that uh, she's in a little bit of trouble right now, because uh, that's actually been a story down here in Florida for many, many months. It, it's not new information, but uh, it is, it still raises questions. I think frankly, more to her judgment uh, than Donald Trump's, you know, he was probably thought this is just the way you play the game down here. Uh, Bondi should have immediately uh, returned the money and just said, Hey, this is inappropriate and uh, don't send me any more, but that's not how she operated. Yeah. Tim, there's another factor and there was a discrepancy as to what was said, whether Trump or his campaign ever talked to her, her campaign. So uh, that's adding fuel to the fire. Tim, any thoughts on it from your standpoint? My, my question is, you know, what was her rationale for not prosecuting? What was publicly said? Well, what was publicly said? Well, go ahead. The rationale is that uh, according to a spokesman for Bondi's staff, uh, they looked into whether to prosecute and saw that the prosecution was – that was that was going on in New York would cover people in Florida who had complaints about Trump University, and so rather than duplicate efforts, according to uh, Bondi's office, they decided to leave it in New York and let and, and and sent Florida people who had complaints about the university to be part of that a part of part of that suit rather than relitigate it or con, or litigate it in addition here in Florida. That's what they said was their reasoning for not going ahead. Is that technically uh, called, Alan, you're the lawyer in the bunch, is that technically called enjoining the suit? Well, it's not enjoining in the sense of uh, forcing uh, a uh, non-trial. Uh, and sometimes things are done that way in all fairness. Uh, but uh, the difficulty is that money went from a foundation uh, to a campaign, which is patently illegal, and Trump's attorney should have been on guard for that. And Trump himself should have been on guard for that. And secondly, the variation is as to what was said. And the other thing is, in the law, in terms of legal ethics, it's not just a question of impropriety. It's the appearance of impropriety. And the appearance of this thing just flat out stinks, to use an elegant word. So that's <laughs> the difficulty there. Well, now, and, and there's uh, another a, – Okay. No, a point missed here. A point one guy missed here is that, it. Jackson, go uh, ahead. You got the you go you uh, won the joint ball. Uh, thank you. A point missed here is that all, most all reports uh, note that the the accountant for the uh, for the for the for the foundation oh, not as a as not a foundation for the uh, for the pack that the money went to did attempt to return the money but for some reason was a, was was unable to do so. I uh, you know and, and that might have as my timeline is unclear on that but that might have happened after the uh after the hoo-ha blew up. But that's a that's a note worth making uh that that they did attempt to return the money. Why they didn't just make an announcement well we're going to donate this to charity 
and be done with it is 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 something that's outside my realm of knowledge. So, how how well, does this affect Sam Bondi, or does it affect Sam Bondi? Well, I don't think it necessarily affects her. Um, yeah. In that, you know, she'll survive this. But I wanted to make this this point. Um, you know, Alan talked about um, not joining the suit in uh, in New York or or whatever. While uh, during Pam Bondi's turn as uh, Attorney General of the State of Florida, she did join a uh, a lawsuit against the EPA uh, over what she felt was an expansion of the Clean Water Rule. So, you know, this this whole notion of well, New York's going to handle it, and uh, we don't really need to be a part of that because that's going to cover us down here in Florida. I think is really shallow. Uh, you know, show show that you know you've got some empathy for the people in Florida who claim that they were victimized in this process, and she did not do that. So basically, at this point, um, everything is if if there is anyone still in Florida who wants to um, sue Mr. Trump over the university situation, they must go through the. <clears throat> They must go to, um, to the state of New York to enjoin themselves in that suit. Is that basically the bottom line here, guys? Yes. Yeah. And I think also the press have other fish to fry, and it's becoming a low-priority uh, story, especially with such a hot presidential election going on. Yes, and the only reason this is coming on up is because of her relationship with Trump. If she Trump was not involved, you know, uh, it wouldn't be getting newsworthy. Well, if she does show up at pretty much a, a number of his rallies in the state of Florida. Absolutely. So, she was she there for the, uh, for the rally uh, just two weeks ago. Yeah. Is she a popular person in the uh, in the state? Well, she's been elected twice. Um, uh, yeah, elected statewide twice and pretty handily both times. So I think she's I, I think she remains popular, but we would have to see if she if she decides to test the waters one more time. She can only she can only serve two terms as uh, as attorney general. So I don't know what she will run for next. I think that there's going to be a crowded field for governor. I don't think she'll get in that. Uh, maybe senator. I'm not sure where she's planning to go next. I, I, she I might show up on the. No, she might show up on Roger Ailes new TV network. <laughs> Either that, or or part of the uh, of the, of the Trump uh, cabinet, perhaps an undersecretary or something like that. No, that's well. I'll tell you what makes this difficult for uh, Trump. So his only real hope of winning this election is to really have Hillary Clinton branded as a crook. And if you're going to do that, you have to come to the uh, dinner with clean hands. But if there's something in your portfolio that is not clean. You don't have any credibility of making all these charges of crooked Hillary. So this is a uh, real problem for him going forward with his campaign focused on, quote, unquote, Clinton corruption. You know, I don't think Trump ever worries about anything like that. I don't think he uh, thinks in, in quite the depth that you do, Alan. And uh, well, I agree with I, you. He doesn't think in depth <laughs> at all. <laughs> and, and so well, I think. He, point... Go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, but but I think the point that he's going to be making is he did his dealings in private business, and if anybody got hurt in private business because they volunteered to get into bed with him, and it was it was the rough and tumble of of uh, private enterprise, he's going to contrast that. If anybody wants to come at him on those, and contrast that to Hillary Clinton, who has been part of the game in Washington D.C. that he's running against and saying that if you elect her, you're endorsing the game of fixing government against the people. And I, I think that that's a – I think that that is a, a very – especially this year, I think that's a very credible way to go about your, your campaign business is to say she is part of, the, of what you all hate about Washington, D.C., and you're really going to give her that job? I, I, I just think that's a good – I think that's a good argument. Except that uh, the campaign contribution becomes part of the game. Hang on, Alan. I'll be right to you. 
Uh, you're listening to the Politically Incorrect Podcast. Uh, I'm Jim Williams. You were listening to Tom Jackson. Alan Steinberg's about to speak. And uh, we're talking about the situation with regard to how things are going to, to play out. Guys, I don't think, you know, the, the polls are showing at this point, it's pretty much close to a, you know, a jump ball at this juncture. And we're, you know, 60 plus days out away from, from the election. Uh, I think it would be foolish to think that, um, that Mr. Trump can't win this situation. I do believe that uh, it's definitely uh, uh, an open position at this point. Well, this is what I, I was saying so. earlier on this, that uh, this is political theater at its finest, and the polls are going to get down razor thin between each other only for advertising purposes to keep people more in tune with this thing. Uh, so this does not surprise me at all. Trump had a good week last week. The numbers are starting to come up. Everything's starting to tie on up. Whether he pulls ahead or not, I don't know. But I think when we go down to the wire, it's still going to be uh, going to be a wild vote. I, I found it interesting. I uh, saw him two weeks ago over here in Tampa, and uh, I thought his message was very polished as compared to where we started uh, a year ago, June. And uh, I don't he, think so. I don't. He knew he knew how to play his audience a lot better. I mean, my God, it was like uh, uh, playing the piano. He knew all the hot buttons, and he got them going. And, and there wasn't anything new there that I hadn't heard before, but it was his presentation. And uh, and I noticed that the news people just weren't paying any attention at all during this. And I'm looking around. I can't believe the reaction I'm seeing from the crowd. And I noticed that a few of the uh, uh, newsmen in there, four or five of them at least, uh, had their articles written before Trump even took the podium, and that kind of, you know, caught me off guard. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Tim, right. and this is just, I can only speak for myself. Covering campaigns, and if you're doing it on a daily basis like that, it's like covering a baseball team during regular season. You know, you saw the guy pitch before. Yeah, he did. You know, did, did he pitch a good game, pitched a fine game? I can pretty much write that story before it's ended. And um, and so sometimes and I understand that, Jim, and I understand you normally have like a template to get started, yeah. have everything ready, so you can fill in the blanks on this and that. But you know, these guys weren't uh, concerning at all what the audience was doing. I saw a little old lady who was in her 80s uh, jump out of her wheelchair to stand up and applaud for Trump, and I'm going, holy smokes, he can get this she was kind of, uh, reaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's like, but, a, like but you got you got. <laughs> you got to look at something in these polls, okay? There's two factors. Number one, Trump's number never comes up. Hillary's goes down, and she loses support to Gary Johnson. But his number always remains between 43 and 45%, which means that the public, he's already defined in the public's mind. She ran commercials all through August, which defined him as a bigot, defined him as an unfit commander-in-chief. And he has not overcome that. If you look at the internals on the polls, his image doesn't get any better. She just happens to fall. If her image improves, Trump's is nowhere near her. But the other factor is, look at today's Washington Post poll, which is the best of all the major media polls. In that particular poll, in the Electoral College, she's way ahead of him. And even, now this was the shocker of the poll. In Texas, which I think that Trump is going to carry, She's ahead of him by one point, and the reason for that is the growth in the Hispanic vote. Texas, by the next election cycle, will be a purple state. It won't be a red state anymore. I think Trump will carry it this time. But in the state-by-state, in the Electoral College, he remains way behind. And again, he has not overcome the bad internals. And these are bad internals I think that she could overcome. He's not on television enough. I I was looking at that poll, too. Uh, In fact, I was going to bring that up, uh, Alan, if you hadn't. And it it does show a a, maybe a narrowing popular vote, which is to be expected when you start adding in uh, Gary Johnson and uh, and Jill Stein. But uh, the electoral path is everything. And Trump, Trump is going to have to overcome. You could, if it were one or two states, you might say, well, he could do this. You know, it's possible. 
he's going to have uh, to pull one of the comebacks for the ages, I think, to pull this off. And the other thing about it is this, is Hillary has, part of the reason I think that the um, gap has narrowed a little bit was she basically disappeared from view last week. Um, we weren't seeing her at all. And she was out raising money, which is what Hillary Clinton does. But, you know, Trump had a, he had a good week and he was on the news all the time. And that I think accounted for some of the narrowing of the gap as we head down the home stretch and she becomes more visible again. And she's got enough money to just saturate the airwaves. I just think, uh, I don't see how Trump overcomes that. I just don't. And he continues to have one major problem. He continues to have a very poor result among white college-educated voters. Among white working class, he's way ahead. But among white college-educated, he's even behind in the men's vote, which normally you know, a Republican candidate has to carry. And this is killing him in the state of Pennsylvania. In the state of Pennsylvania, they had the average lead there is uh, around eight points. He cannot win the presidency without winning Pennsylvania. He cannot win the presidency without winning New Hampshire, where he's been behind by double digits as well. Now, in Virginia, the polls aren't so clear, but Virginia is a state of an increasing white college-educated population, as is Georgia. I don't think, again, Texas, Trump is going to carry. I'm not so sure he's going to carry Georgia. And I think that when you, you get defined with white college-educated voters, it's hard to change that impression. You know, we're right at the, uh, not the 40-minute mark, guys. And uh, I, I was going to, I want to introduce one last thing, which I think is fascinating. It seemed to me that FBI chairman, head, however you want to call it, James Comey, when he came out and laid out the, um, the rare situation of the non-indictment indictment of, of Hillary Clinton, and then was called up on the Hill and went through the, the same situation under that, it seems now that the FBI is slowly but surely dribbling out documents you know this information that about these these emails didn't do this and this is a situation about these emails didn't do that. what the hell is up with james comey he either should have indicted her or should have kept his mouth shut and acted i mean this is not this is this is this is the fbi getting involved in politics and i don't understand why now james comey has he got buyer's remorse or what the hell is the problem with james comey Alan, you said you know him, so you can start. He's a very honorable guy. In the administration in which I served, the Bush administration, uh, Bush 43, he had a reputation of uh, speaking truth to power. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of this is procedural. He made his finding early, and it's not unusual in court cases to have the documents that are, were the subject of the investigation come out later. The problem for Hillary Clinton is, Every time they come out, the public doesn't really look in the weeds and see what the documents are. But it's just them hearing over and over, to use a Franklin Delano Roosevelt phrase, again and again that there's some issue with the email. But I don't think that unless they find a criminal violation or a violation of some ethical regulation, which they have not found yet, I don't think, I don't think it's self-serve. But I think at the end, it's not going to hurt her because I think that voters – She's been losing to Gary Johnson. Are going to come back to her because they're going to say we don't want to waste our votes and we prefer her to Donald Trump. Anybody else want to weigh in on James Comey? Well, that's one way to look at it, but I I, I think that the public has been grasping to try to figure out what the heck went on here, and the one thing that they now know is that Hillary Clinton couldn't keep track of her her mobile devices. And that her staff was assigned the task of destroying with hammers twenty of them. You know the the the, the, no, no, they, the they moment that two. they destroyed two and lost eleven. Okay, well, so anyway, they they, they destroyed two and lost eleven. That that's really comforting to me. Um, the 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 moment that Watergate clicked in the public's mind was when they saw the 
the uh, the position that Rosemary Wood had to get into to inadvertently erase 18 minutes worth of taping from the White House system. That people understood was impossible, and destroying devices with hammers, people understand, is destroying evidence. I think that there's going to be more of a coalescing of the public mind around just what a crooked person this is that they are thinking about uh, electing to the presidency. And when it comes right down to it, these people who won't say, yeah, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump, just might do it. I mean, I, a key factor to moving the, the, the battleground states is the notion that, that, that people who are on the fence are going to vote for a winner. It's a very important thing for, vote, for some voters to vote for a winner if they are otherwise undecided. And if the, if the polls in the middle of October are showing that it's a one- or two- or three-point race and either one of them is ahead within the margin of error, it, could, it, it seriously could go either way with people going to the polls and thinking they took hammers to blackberries. Am I going to elect that? My, but my only point is why did Comey and the FBI, why is Comey and the FBI continually letting this information out when, in fact, they had it? Well, they should have let it out immediately. That's what, yes, okay, fine. That, that's my have. point. Why, why, why this drip and drab? I think there's an awful I, I lot of people. Really within the, I think there are an awful <laughs> lot of people, and, and I know a couple of former FBI agents who are absolutely absolutely livid at the at the bureau right now. Uh, they are very disappointed about the way this investigation went down, and especially the way uh, it was a sloppily done investigation. The 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 interview with with Hillary Clinton, where the director was not even there, the most high profile. Uh, investigation they've done in Comey's lifetime, and he's not there. I I think that the that there's yes, there might be buyer's remorse, but it also might be James Comey winking at us, saying I couldn't indict her, fellas, but look at all the stuff we had. I mean, once upon a time I was saying how would how would Donald Trump be campaigning differently if he wanted to lose? Well, this is this is James Comey possibly saying I couldn't indict her, but I had the goods. That's an interesting theory, Tom. And um, if I, I do not know Director Comey, uh, Alan does. If he is really as as honest and forthright as Alan says, and we have no reason to believe otherwise, that your theory is plausible. But I would add just this little caveat to everything. Um, I think the bureau has been badly damaged by this, and that. It's only a matter of a short time, I believe, until Director Comey uh, leaves either by his own volition or is asked to leave because the FBI is one of those one of those things, one of those institutions we count on to be above the fray and to where we as citizens have to believe that we're getting a, a fair deal in the way they investigate. Uh, issues, and if it, if it should come out that there was political pressure, be it real or imagined, uh, to not indict Hillary Clinton, and if if the consensus is she should have been, then that damages the bureau, and that calls for regime change uh, as quickly as possible. Amen to that. You know what I find interesting is I don't know anybody out there, be a Republican or Democrat, who doesn't think the Clintons uh, are corrupt in some way. Now, the interesting part of it, uh, the Republicans will all say, okay, well, get her out, get her out. Or, But the Democrats say, so what? So what? I mean, it's not like the days of Nixon or anything like that. And we're basically resigned to the fact that we're accepting uh, corruption, whether it's true or not. But we're saying, yeah. We we don't care anymore, and that to me is very unsettling. Tim, I don't buy that, and here's why. I don't believe that Democrats are saying, well, it's okay if Hillary Clinton is everything that you say she is. I think they look at Donald Trump and go, oh, my God, we cannot let that madman anywhere near the Oval Office. I think that's what it is. Maybe with Hillary Clinton, all these issues, 
yes, they're they're negatives. But I don't think on at on, on a gut level, people doubt that she could handle the job as president of the United States and keep this nation as safe as possible. And I think a lot of people doubt that about Donald Trump. Well, I'll flip it and say that, you know, uh, if, again, uh, Hillary had been a Republican, um, you'd see the people out, you know, calling for her head more than anything else, including the press. But the press just gives her a free ride. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> the press does not give Hillary Clinton a free ride. And as far as, you know, as, far as I've seen so far. How have all these stories come out? They came out in the press. It depends what network you watch and what newspaper you read in terms of whether she's getting a free ride or not. If you watch uh, the Fox network, you think she's Darth Vader. Uh, other networks, it's kind of hot and cold. Or if you read the New York Post, you think she's the greatest threat since Joseph Stalin. So it's a question of who is doing the reporting and who is doing the editorializing. Well, it was the New York Times that came out with the email. I mean – they were the ones that um, that investigated the email situation. The Washington Post wasn't far behind on it. Um, and they also, in the Times, did the uranium, the story about the Russian uranium connection, too. Right. The other I don't thing, think the Times, Times also said, let's, uh, they, they, Clinton should sever their relationship to the foundation. Yes, they, they did. Know, they also said that. But, you know, okay, why didn't they say, we're, why don't we do a more in, thorough investigation as to what the foundation's all about. I don't know that they're not. I'll have to check. They didn't say it in that editorial, the one where they said sever it. Well, I um, I can't speak for the times, but uh, I can say that, you know, it, look, I will tell you this. I know at this point in time that um, we are at a at a crossroads where I know the Democrats would rather have somebody, Joe Biden or someone running for office, and I'm sure the Republicans would rather have somebody like Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio running. Uh, for the Democrats and Republicans, it is Donald Trump for the Republican side and Hillary Clinton for the Democratic side, and one of these people is going to end up being president. And you know what? We're not going to find out this edition of the politically incorrect podcast but i'll tell you what we will let you know as we move along guys it's a come to that point in time for last call so uh tell you what tim you take last call and then we'll come back and we'll do social media but well, last, I, saying, I, I can't can't wait for the debates plain and simple and that's really what you're going to see the polls go wild it'll be fun joe well, I uh, do agree with my friend and colleague, Tim, on that. Uh, the debates at this point uh, may be everything. And I, I just uh, – I really want to see uh, how presidential Donald Trump can look. I'm still not necessarily going to buy it, but I, I'm sure he will come off just fine because that's how he's being coached. But I mostly want to see how Hillary Clinton uh, goes after him. And uh, if she continues to start, try to stay above the fray, I don't think that's a good thing for her. But, uh, you know, I'll let her advisors handle that, and I will be watching eagerly. Alan Steinberg, your thoughts? Uh, I think the major challenge, <clears throat> excuse me, that Hillary Clinton faces is uh, one that's not being written about too much. It's her challenge in the African-American community. Now, both old and young African-Americans are, are against Donald Trump. He's not getting uh, more than a minuscule number of votes there. However, there was a good article in the New York Times about how young African-Americans are not happy with her because they don't feel that she's focusing enough on the issues of the police and the urban African-American communities. Uh, that's a very dicey topic. And if she starts to focus on that and she uh, starts to – strengthen uh, her appeal to, for example, BLM, Black Lives Matter, it may help her in the African-American community get out the uh, younger vote, uh, but it always runs a risk of alienating, uh, you know, white college educated. So this is a real tightrope she has to walk because the Democrats really need a large turnout in the African-American community. 
Thomas. I, I think what's going on in the black community is, is fascinating, that perhaps the younger black vote is, is, is seeing that they have not been well served by democratic policies in the inner cities for all these, all these decades. Uh, Donald Trump went to a Detroit church over the weekend and gave a fairly interesting uh, low-key speech about the, the new civil rights movement. Uh, the new the new guaranteed of civil guarantees of civil rights um, that I think needs to be given again and again and again in the black community and I would be fascinated to see what would happen with Donald Trump's numbers if he continued to do that I think I think that's true that he's got he's got not a very good shot at moving a whole lot of the African American vote his way. But he doesn't have to move all that much to be competitive nationwide, and especially in some of the swing states. Uh, and it, it's frankly overdue for some for, for some Republican, even if it's just a titular re- Republican like Donald Trump, to, to to do what quarterback Kemp said do all those years ago, and that is go to the black community and try to pitch uh, Republican ideas. I I think this is that. Combined with uh, with debates, we've got an interesting two months ahead of us. And we'll be here, no question about it, talking about it every couple of days. So, look, thanks a lot to Tom Jackson. Guys, one real quick time for your social media. We'll go back around the other way. Tom, we'll start with you this time. How do we get you on social right. media? Uh, find me on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Tom Jackson, journalist entrepreneur. And uh, on Facebook, my handle is at Thomas Jack Tampa, T-H-O-M-A-S-J-A-X Tampa. Alan Steinberg. On Facebook, you can find me as Alan Joel Steinberg. And on Twitter, I am at A Steinberg 613. Tim Bryce. On Facebook, I'm simply Tim Bryce, B-R-Y-C-E, and Twitter at Tim Bryce, all one word, B-R-Y-C-E. Bringing it home, Joe Henderson. Okay, you can find me on Facebook at Joe Henderson, commentary columns and such. And you can also find me on Twitter. I'll tweet away at the initial J Henderson Tampa. All right, folks, and I'm Jim Williams, your host of the Politically Incorrect podcast. You can find me at ntfla underscore politics that's ntfla underscore politics on twitter you can also find me on facebook at newstalkflorida.com facebook and uh you've been listening to the politically incorrect podcast on newstalkflorida.com and blog talk radio we hope that you've enjoyed it and we hope that you join us next time thanks very much for being with us today we'll see you next time